You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. In one hour... On Grant and Danny, Josh Kosman of the New York Post, who was the first to report that Jeff Bezos is being frozen out of the sale. We'll get an update from him on that and his thoughts on the development. Dan Snyder could be in trouble with FBI and IRS investigating him now. The DOJ is involved for what is possibly alleged bank fraud. Kosman at five and Mike Florio, pro football talk at six. He's great on the perspective of the other owners and in league circles, what people are saying about Dan as the combine is underway. So we'll talk to him coming up in two hours. Don Van Nata wrote the story on ESPN today, ESPN.com, about Snyder that we've been talking about all day long on the station. He's going to join us in less than 20 minutes right here on 106.7 The Fan. As promised, caller number 10 to kick off this 4 o'clock hour. You are winning Caps tickets. we got four of them for you. You got to be the 10th caller, 800-636-1067. Caps, Devils, March 9th, 7 p.m. Limited tickets still available to see the Capitals. Dwindling home schedule at Cap One Arena. For more information or to purchase tickets, go to washcaps.com slash tickets. We are giving away a four-pack all week long at 4 o'clock ahead of the Blitz on GND. Let's get things started right now. And the Blitz begins with the Wiz, who have dropped back-to-back games, and they need to get right. And their chance to do so tonight, 7.30, in Atlanta against the Hawks. Our buddy Wes Hall of NBCSportsWashington.com joins us. He's got pre- and post-coverage on television. Wes, what do they got to do to beat Atlanta 31-30 and with a new head coach? Oh, man, uh, fight a little bit of that emotional momentum, Grant. You know how it goes. The team gets a new coach, and all of a sudden they find a spark of magic. And uh, the Wizards really need it tonight because we've, they've, they've dropped the last six down in the A-Town. And obviously with Kristaps Porzingis being out with a knee, Monte Morris being out with a back, uh, it's another one of those all-hands-on-deck situations that the Wizards have found themselves in multiple times this season. Wes, eight of their next ten games are with teams, you know, a little bit ahead of them or, you know, in Cleveland's case, uh, several games ahead of them in the standings. The big stretch with a couple against Detroit mixed in. I, I hate to, to say phrases like make or break, but it kind of feels like that's what this is right here, right? Yeah, this is a high-tension point, definitely, for sure. And and to your point, looking at, you know, Toronto, who we haven't really seen this season, Atlanta, we're going to play the Hawks three times in the next 11, ga- next 11 days. And we're sitting two and a half games behind the Hawks. And so the focus really is, if you want it, you have to will for it and then go make it happen. And this is it. You know, I'm not saying this is it on the totality of the season, but to your point, Danny, like these next few games are so important if you're going to have that postseason life that you have aspirations for. What's the prognosis on Porzingis? Um, Again, it was just a a simple kind of the tumble that uh, Denny had into him against the knee. I asked him after the game, just walking by casually, like, how's your knee? And he gave me, you know, that everything's good. But then he said he sat uh, these last two games out. So as of right now, it's kind of on a day-to-day basis. But as soon as the team reports anything official, I'll definitely have it for you. Wes, oh, go ahead. Uh, 28 and 32, four games yeah. under 500. How should I feel about this group right now? I, I, I like them when I watch them lately. 
But every time I look up, they're four under 500 or whatever, and they're 10th in the East, and that just isn't good enough. I understand the frustration of not only you, but every Wizards fan, because I, you know, being in the 8th to ninth pick, 10th pick areas is kind of like, what are we doing here? I get it. Um, when it comes to the, comp- the compilation, excuse me, the composition of this team, it's all about having Brad, KP, and Kuz healthy. You have to have these guys out there on the court. They're your three best scorers. Obviously, the unicorn does so many different things that it's hard to quantify in, in just one statistical category. But looking at the way that we have the squad now with the adjustment of Gafford at the five with he and Porzingis together, if you get all five of them out there for at least seven of, say, the next ten, this is just me ideating, assuming everybody's healthy, seven of the next ten, now you're playing with house's money. But you got to have everybody healthy. Why is Bradley Beal shooting so much better from three this year? I don't know. I, I guess he wanted to get out of January. Uh, in the month of January, I think he was averaging like four threes a game. He was knocking down one of them. But in February, he's knocking down two out of six. His points have gone up from 17 in January to 26 in February. So I have no idea what angst he has about the first month of the year. But February has done wonders for Brad. Wes, Wes thanks, buddy. We appreciate the time. Appreciate it, guys. I want to be called number 10 next time. I'm trying to go to the Caps. Just, hey, just saying. we'll make it happen. You got a connection you. over there, I feel like. You might be able to get <laughs> a ticket or two. We <laughs> NBC Sports Washington guy, you might be able to find some ticks. Hey, thanks, Every buddy. Appreciate Thank you, buddy. See ya. Blind Squirrel finds a nut, I guess. All right, let's talk some football. PFF Ben, our guy Ben Brown's with us on our Beltway Blitz to go around the National Football League. Ben, NFL Combine Day. Give us some of the big headlines. We are elbow deep. We are basically buried in Dan Snyder news here in D.C. We have no yeah. idea what's going on in Indianapolis. Catch us up. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of waiting. I think, you know, we got the defensive linemen, linebackers kind of checking in today. Obviously, some pertinent questions. How tall is Bryce Young? Uh, you know, some workout warriors obviously are going to showcase some things as well here later on in the week. But for now, I think it's kind of, you know, rumor season and what's going to happen with that number one overall pick, I think, is kind of going to be the dominant feature and really the first domino that we kind of need to drop to get some more information, I would say, on both free agency and the draft here to come soon. So I was going to ask you about that, Ben. I'm team roll with fields and actually surround him with NFL caliber offensive players and sell the number one pick for, you know, to the highest bidder for a King's ransom. What team are you on? Yeah, I very much think that's going to be the way they go. I know a lot of people want to link them to the Indianapolis Colts. I do think that makes some sense. But the team I'm really watching, the Carolina Panthers, uh, it it seems like Frank Reich's not going to want to go in that veteran retrieve quarterback option. Uh, It it seems in some ways like they maybe have locked into Bryce Young as well, and they do have some picks in relation to where they're at with, you know, the Christian McCaffrey trade and everything else. So they have allocated a lot of dollars to the care to, uh, you know, the defensive side of the football. In some ways they have to look around out and definitely think they can win that NFC South. And, you know, a rookie quarterback, especially the number one overall pick kind of seems like the only piece they really need. So I think it's going to be Carolina, maybe over Indianapolis to get that number one pick when they do. Uh, I very much think it's going to be Bryce Young at quarterback at the number one overall selection. Ben, I know how this goes, and I, I shouldn't be annoyed, but I always am. No games get played, and we start sliding guys all over the draft board, right? All of a sudden, Anthony Richardson's just flying up the first round, but no football's being played as he's just surpassing people. Uh, take us through the rest of the quarterback board, and why is everyone falling in love with Richardson since he stopped playing football? 
Yeah, I think going back, looking at it, looking at some of the scenarios with, you know, the Georgia game, like I think a lot of people are going to lump the struggles that he had to his offensive line. And very much I think he was successful at kind of negating the really negative plays that are going to drastically limit what that offense can do. And I think he kind of provides, even though he might, you know, have some issues as far as growing pains and things like that, he does offer, you know, a a reasonably high floor because he is able to kind of escape some of those pressure situations and maybe turn a bad sack into just a throwaway type of play. So I think that's one reason why. And then of course, you know, coveting the speed, you know, the, the, the Cam Newton light S that he's actually going to be able to provide. I think that's going to be intriguing to a lot of people who definitely see, you know, the mobile quarterback very much uh, a necessity at this point, given how, you know, successful athletic defensive players have gotten, how much the, you know, the, the threat of a rushing quarterback can provide to some of these two high coverage looks and the wrinkle that it adds to the team's offensively. So I, I think with the direction that the NFL is going, him, you know, kind of skyrocketing off draft boards, although, you know, it, it does happen every year. This one in some ways maybe feels different and it's probably the correct reason and basis for why he's probably going to be a top five pick when it's all said and done. What's your favorite coaching change this offseason and why? Oh, that's a good question. I, I know a lot of people are talking Frank Reich. I think I would have said that early on because, you know, I don't want to say he got like a raw deal in Indianapolis, but a, a lot of the things that happened, I think, you know, for him specifically towards the end and maybe not necessarily, you know, getting on that veteran quarterback that he really brought, you know, into the fold was maybe, you know, probably too much emphasis on what he provided versus other people in that organizational structure. So excited about him. I, I know, you know, even some things, you know, coming out today with the Eagles getting Sean to say as their, you know, defensive coordinator as well. I think that's a really good fit. So uh, I think we're just beginning to kind of fully understand, you know, not only the head coaches, but also some of these offensive and defensive coordinators, guys like Eric Bieniemy coming in and kind of rejuvenating, bringing to life some new opportunities and some new insights and could really change the direction of a team overall. So uh, I think those three probably are my three favorite ones. And I think, you know, all three of those are going to have some, you know, pretty outsized impacts on how that team actually moves forward here in 2023. What do you think of the Commanders franchise tagging Deron Payne? I, I I thought they would work out something. I, I think it was like 18.9 million or something. It seemed like they were maybe going to get close to the 20 million dollar threshold for him. I don't mind it. I, I know, you know, it, people still want to say maybe hasn't put it together both, you know, from a rush defense and pass rush perspective every single year so giving him another opportunity to do that makes a lot of sense and then when you do get Chase Young back into the fold Montez Sweat as well you can really kind of see how this defensive line would fit together with everybody back and healthy so I think kicking the can down the road especially given the fact that he was probably maybe in the 20 million dollar per APY per year and getting him at 18.9 for one more season uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's probably the reason why they locked it in so early uh, and then they can still kind of work out this long-term deal if they need to before July 1st. Ben, thank you as always, buddy. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Have a great job. See you, my friend. Hit that commander sounder, Durs. There's somebody, Darren Haynes, WSA 9, joins us for the Beltway Blitz, the commander's portion. So, you got the Don Van Natta story uh, in the in the Washington Post, uh, excuse me, the Washington Post, in, uh, on ESPN, alleging potential financial impropriety, maybe even bank fraud from Dan Snyder and company, and the team responded, nah What can you tell us, Darren? Uh, well, the team is saying all, all of it's not true. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of seen this pattern before where, you know, the Washington commanders are blamed for X, Y, and Z allegations. And their first response is saying that that's not true. I think that's just the formality of how they 
how they do certain things. Um, but it, clearly there's a lot of reports coming out, especially in the last few days. Um, and the, and the Washington commanders, or you can say maybe Dan Snyder mostly is, uh, contesting a lot of it. And, uh, and at the same time, the NFL is, is, uh, denying it as well. What is the NFL denying? Uh, give me one second. Cause I, I have the, well, excuse me. They're not necessarily denying it. they kind of broke down the meeting that the, the ex partners had with uh, Snyder in regards to that arbitration. Um, oh, right. And, and that, saying that, yeah, that that part. Sorry. I, I thought that. you were saying the NFL was denying the the Washington Post story and the indemnification. Which no, no, no. They they didn't want to comment on that at all. I reached out to them about that. They yeah, they they kind of plead the fifth on that. And one. that's kind of my point is the commanders are saying it's not true, but with no context, they just kind of say not true, and then and then said nothing else, and no one else on any side of this has said as much. What did you make of that statement? And if it isn't true, why wouldn't you tell us what's not true about it? I thought that was really weird. So that's that's a tough thing. So, you know, when I'm talking to my sources and then all of a sudden the commanders kind of uh, came out with something as well, kind of saying that that Washington Post story wasn't necessarily true, um, kind of just made me think, OK, maybe it wasn't, you know, professionally done where someone made a comment and said, hey, X, Y, and Z. Maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was a conversation that actually happened, but it wasn't like an official thing. But this is more speculation. Um, but working all these investigations throughout, geez, what it's been like almost three years now, um, you would see that they're very particular in regards to statements that come out um, and the wording that, that comes, that that's coming out to definitely, you know, obviously not put Dan Snyder in, in a worse position um, down the road, but uh, it's, it's very vague when you look at some of these statements, which is good to hear from them in, in some particular way. But you really don't get that much from them other than just a denial of what's going on. All right. So I get the sense that Dan Snyder, you know, making all these demands, allegedly, and according to the Washington Post, of the other owners, and that's got them angered um, sort of in, in response. What can you tell us about that part? Well, I think it's pretty clear, Danny, that the NFL owners were already upset with, 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 uh, with Dan Snyder. I think this was something that was brewing already when we saw the NFL owners meetings in New York. We saw uh, it kind of kind of cooled down just a little bit, but mostly everyone waiting for that, that uh, Mary Jo White investigation to come out when they had the NFL owners meeting in, 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 in Dallas. So when you see these reports coming out, especially just the one today with the ESPN uh, report, let's just go by that report just in general. Um, you, you can just, you can, it's human nature to get frustrated with situations that, that are, or allegations that are coming up regarding Dan Snyder. Um, and I, I, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how this NFL owners meeting, uh, takes place in, in late March. Uh, cause you got to think of a guy like Jim Ursay, who was already very outspoken about it. Like, what does he have to say now, now that there's more stuff coming out about one of his fellow owners? Cannot wait for those fireworks and frankly, for all the news that's going to come out before then. I mean, the league supposedly wants this wrapped up a month from now when those meetings take place, that's very unlikely to happen, but one way or the other, there's going to be a lot going on in Phoenix, Arizona, with the other owners having a chance to speak out loud about this for the first time in the reports today that yeah. they're really, really upset with Dan. Yeah, Darren Haynes, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm saying, yeah, the, the, that window's closing in regards to, like, this, the decision if maybe a new owner comes in. Uh, but, you know, the, the agenda's not out for the NFL owners meeting. So, 
So that can be put on the agenda, and that vote could happen in late March, no matter what happens with the Mary Jo White investigation, uh, just by the NFL owners. If they want to vote them out, that can definitely happen very quickly. That's a quick timeline. I mean, I guess it's possible. You're right. They could say, let's vote and do that. They've all along it just, have, have it just needs to be to put that. on the agenda. That agenda is not finalized yet, so it can True. happen. That 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 letter to whoever it is in the NFL to Roger Goodell can say, "Hey, let's add this to the agenda." Can happen today. Thanks, Darren. Darren thanks, Bud. Thanks, you guys. Check out our guy Darren Haynes, Channel Nine WSA TV in town. I just still believe they don't want to vote him out. If they have to, they will probably, or they could. We'll see if they have the votes. But there's other ways to get him out, as they've been doing, and it seems like successfully moving the ball in that direction without a vote. You just got to deal with some kicking and screaming along the way. I don't know. I, I get the sense that they're maybe moving towards, okay, fine, we may have to just you know stick the sword in. Don Van Nata Jr., ESPN.com, wrote the big story on Dan Snyder today, joins us next on G&D. Thanks to Toby for the update. Welcome back. We're Grant and Danny, and you are listening to 106.7 The Fan. It has been a crazy last 24 hours on the Dan Snyder front. Really, I mean, I keep talking about the last day or so. You go back to the weekend, you had a multitude of huge reports on Snyder. So we're going on basically five days in a row with bombshell after bombshell. What if there's nothing tomorrow? I'll feel kind of left out. I will go through withdrawal. Culminating with perhaps the biggest development and most groundbreaking of all the stories on Snyder during this sale process, which came down today from one of the great writers and reporters in the country, Don Van Notta Jr. of ESPN, who joins us on the BetQL guest hotline right now. Bet smarter to beat the books. Download the BetQL app. Visit BetQL.com. Don, thank you for hopping on. How are you, sir? Doing great, guys. How are you today? We're doing very well. I certainly appreciate the time. How did you start tugging on this thread with this story? You know, what kind of piqued your interest and, and walk us through it? Well, in early November, I broke the story that there was a criminal investigation going on in the Eastern District of Virginia and Alexandria. And right after that story broke, I decided to try to find out as much as I could about precisely what the prosecutors and agents there were looking into. And I discovered that this $55 million credit line, this secret loan, if you will, is uh, central to what they're investigating. And then I was able to get my hands on some confidential documents that laid out the clash between Dan Snyder and his three limited partners. And uh, I was off to the races after that. Don, we will get to the idea of bank bank fraud and, and the criminal inquiry. But with some of these anecdotes, which are stunning, and we've gone through them all on the air with our listeners, you know, Dan paying himself from the team $4.5 million to put the, the logo on his plane or some of the, the money he's paying himself for his 60 employees, those types of things. How much of that, and forgive my terminology here, is like your normal shady billionaire business guy practices of like mixing potions with his own money and his company money, and how much of that is a real problem? Well, there's certainly some of that, right? There's, I think that in a lot of businesses, there's a blurring of lines uh, between, you know, what money goes for expenses, if you will, versus uh, uh, personal money. But it's pretty hard when you look at the four and a half million dollars of an advertising fee to put a logo on a personal jet, when it's really that personal jet is 
not out in the world. It's in, it's in, a, it's in a private hangar when it's not flying around. And so what's the advertising value? And the allegation by the limited partners is that this was a way, a very creative way for Dan Snyder to siphon off more money. Remember, 40 cents on the dollar belonged to these partners, and they didn't know that Snyder was paying himself $4.5 million for this advertising fee for his jet, for the, for the logo. And so it's their allegation that this is Snyder doing something wrong behind their backs, and they wanted the NFL to look at it. And, uh, you know, as my story pointed out, the NFL really didn't do much with any of the allegations that the partners made uh, as part of their arbitration petition they filed back in 2020. ESPN's Don Venata with us here on Grant and Danny. And I wanted to get to that with, with you, Don. The three minority partners, uh, Rothman, Shar, and, and Smith, um, it just seems to, again, they're, the billionaires, they're fine. So I'm not, you know, crying any tears here. But still, they seem to have gotten a raw deal in all this on, on several fronts. Walk me through what they knew when and kind of, you know, how they ended up just sort of getting some money to, to go away. Well, in April of 2020, uh, they discovered in a footnote, so in, in the fine print of a financial audit, the fact that the team had taken out a $55 million credit line with Bank of America. They knew nothing about it. They never were asked to approve it as members of the board. Uh, the team bylaws say anytime new debt has to be taken, it has to be approved by the board of directors. They're three of the six members. It was never brought to them by Snyder. They knew nothing about it for 16 months. That same month, Snyder, they allege, did not pay them a quarterly payment that they were owed. So they start digging into the financials of the team and discover that $4.5 million payment I discussed and a whole bunch of other things that it really ended, ended up breaking up the partnership. I mean, it was on its last legs anyway, but it led to the partners filing this uh, NFL arbitration petition and the partners wanted the NFL to investigate, in particular, that Bank of America loan. And they asked the NFL arbitrator to send a summons to Bank of America to find out whether or not there had been fraud or not. And within days, the arbitrator said, we're going to end the arbitration and move the entire matter to mediation. And the mediation was headed up by Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, Jeff Pash, the NFL general counsel. Uh, just a couple weeks after the arbitration was closed. And just a few months later, Snyder bought out the three partners for $875 million. What's interesting about that number, guys, as you probably know, is if Snyder gets $7 billion for his team, 40% of that is $2.8 billion. So the three partners are out about $2 billion in less than two years. Um, and that's a lot of money even for billionaires. That gets billionaires' attention, that kind of money. Uh, losing out on that in a course of less than 24 months. The voice of Don Venata Jr. of ESPN. You know, along those lines then, I guess two-parter follow-up on that, do you have any insight into why the NFL didn't look into the $55 million loan? Because that's what the three minority owners wanted to know. How did he get this loan without us? The bank was asking for our signatures, our uh, agreement. We never gave it to them, and eventually he got the loan. Obviously, Goodell wouldn't look into that based on your reporting. Do we know why? And then second part of that would be, why did the minority owners even agree to the mediation that allowed Goodell and Pash to force them into the sale? Both really good questions. On your first question, I don't know why uh, the NFL decided to do that. I mean, I could tell you guys that at the same time the mediation 
uh, or the arbitration was going on, Beth Wilkinson was investigating Snyder for sexual misconduct, for the toxic workplace culture. And we know that just a few months later, that led to a $10 million fine and Snyder stepping away from the team, but no final report. So it does raise a question, was the NFL protecting Snyder on two fronts? on the Wilkinson investigation, where there was just a slap on the wrist, arguably, and then also on these financial misconduct allegations, including the bank loan, where nothing was ever investigated by the NFL arbitrator. On the mediation question, we have reporting in our story that Fred Smith, the co-founder and CEO of FedEx, one of Snyder's partners, his son, Arthur Smith, uh, at the time, back in 2021, was an offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, He's now the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. I had a source tell me that Smith was just so done with Snyder, wanted to be out, and was worried if they had created a big issue for the NFL over this bank loan, Smith was worried that his son would possibly, his career would be derailed or something bad would happen to him. So it was a dad looking out for his son and just said, look, I'm out. We'll take whatever we can get and move on. Don, could you talk about Snyder blocking the initial sale um, of the minority stake? I guess allegedly. That was with, Smith as well. Which was also Smith, which I guess would be, according to the complaint, would basically say any due diligence would discover these improprieties here that, that Snyder's alleged to, to have committed. Break that down for us. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting parts of this, uh, of this arbitration petition. So back in 2018... Fred Smith had somebody, uh, a very wealthy individual, who was willing to buy his 10% stake in the team. Uh, it's a guy named Arthur Kestenbaum. And so Smith goes to Snyder and says, I want to sell my 10% to Kestenbaum. Snyder tells Smith, according to the petition, the NFL owners are not going to accept him uh, as a minority partner, so no, you can't do it. Well, it turns out Kestenbaum the following year buys – a percentage of the Atlanta Falcons from the owner, Arthur Blank, and the NFL owners accept him. So the allegation by Fred Smith's attorneys is that Snyder purposefully blocked Smith from selling to Kestenbaum because Snyder was worried that Kestenbaum would ask for due diligence, look into the books, and would discover all of the things that are laid out in this arbitration petition, you know, of allegedly Snyder using the team as his personal piggy bank. Don Van Nata, ESPN, Grant and Danny. The story is incredible. You got to check it out on ESPN.com. Going back to the three minority owners here, let's say, and I want to get to the bank fraud in a moment. That's kind of the grand finale is that there's an incriminal inquiry, the FBI, IRS, DOJ is involved at this point. We can discuss that in a moment. But if, in fact, the minority owners, after selling, they kind of wash their hands of it. It's over. They get their $875 million. I'd imagine they can't go back at Dan now for money or, or sue him or anything like that. So if he isn't found to have committed bank fraud or, or a crime, so to speak, like where does this go, I guess, is my question. Does that make sense? If, if the other owners can't come back at him, it's bank fraud or nothing, I guess, in terms of him getting in trouble for any of this. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. So when the, the three minority partners uh, were bought out by Dan Snyder as part of that transaction, uh, you know, there were non-disclosure agreements signed, and they uh, basically agreed that they would sue, would not sue Snyder on any issue. 
So you're absolutely right about that. Really, the only venue for these allegations now uh, are with the prosecutors in Virginia who have sent out subpoenas. They've sent a subpoena to the team uh, as, as well as other subpoenas. And I know for a fact they have the NFL arbitration petition uh, that lays out all of the partners' allegations about financial misconduct against Snyder. What would they have to find to come back with the the idea that this was bank fraud? Like, what do they need that would they would consider a crime in this investigation? And what would that mean for Snyder if they decide he frauded the bank? Well, I I know that you know one thing, one way that they would be able to get to the bottom of this is to subpoena the bank records that Bank of America has. I mean, this is what the limited partners wanted the NFL to do as part of the arbitration, and that never happened. And they so would the be, sorry, is, they is the FBI and the IRS, or who? They, they would be the, the prosecutors, the FBI agents. Got it, okay. Through a grand jury subpoena, right, would, would actually go to Bank of America and look at what documents exist. And, and so... One of, the, one of the concerns that the partners had, and it's raised in this arbitration petition, is that repeatedly the bank was asking the commanders for the board resolution. The board resolution is a document that shows the board of directors gave Snyder the authority to get this $55 million credit line. But there's a whole bunch of documents that show that it may not have ever existed because the bank closed on the loan on December 13, 2018, and a month later, there's, there's bank officials, bank lawyers asking the team still for the board resolution. So there may not be any board resolution, or pro- perhaps they did submit something, and it's pr- possibly phony. I mean, this is what the limited partners wanted the NFL arbitrator to find out about. The NFL arbitrator never did that. You know, went to mediation, as we've discussed. And so now the ball's in the court of these federal investigators to try to get to the bottom of it. But what, whatever they discover, guys, I assume, will lead them to you know, draw whatever conclusions they make of whether there'll be criminal charges here or not. So, Don, I'm sure you saw the terrific Washington Post reporting you know, from last night about Snyder demanding indemnification in sort of all future matters when it comes to the team and the sale and everything else. This sounds like a why he would want that, right? These sound like potential criminal uh, proceedings. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I found that timing very interesting that that came out, you know, just about 12 hours before our story landed. Uh-huh. And, yeah, you could certainly make the argument that, that that's anti- in anticipation of potential any, any kind of investigation, whether it's a criminal investigation uh, or possible civil liability as well. Um, and it might be something also – that's, you know, that's necessary for a buyer to have because the fact that there's a criminal investigation hanging over the team, I- I'm, I'm assuming, would potentially affect the sale price, right? So, um, yes, the indemnification, uh, you know, with Snyder seeking that, uh, if he is, uh, certainly could play into what's going on in the Eastern District of Virginia. Excellent. Don Van Nata reporting that we're discussing with, the author of the story who did the reporting here on G&D. We've got less than a minute left, so I apologize in advance, but I do want to crowbar one more thing in. My biggest takeaway from this reporting, non-potential crime division, if you will, it seems like Dan Snyder doesn't really have cash. It seems like he is 
struggling with liquidity. Is that what you found? Yes. It, 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 it's throughout the 61-page arbitration petition that the partners filed with the NFL is Snyder being portrayed as cash poor, that he needs a credit line, they allege, to keep up his lavish lifestyle. I mean, they, remember, guys, they don't know where that money went. And that that $55 million credit line, 40 cents on the dollar, they're responsible for it. They didn't know about it for 16 months. And so they portray Snyder as somebody who the valuation of the team may be sky high, but there's a lot of debt. He had to go to Bank of America to, to get $450 million loan to buy out the partners for $875 million. So it, it's definitely a portrait of an owner who is uh, struggling with cash and liquidity and is scrambling um, to do what he can to make up for it. Don, outstanding with us and wonderful reporting. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. If you haven't read the story yet, you should. ESPN.com. Don Van Nata Jr., who just joined us, wrote the piece on Dan Snyder. I want to get into his last point about the lack of funds, perhaps, uh-huh. available it's to essential Dan. all of this, I think. And the football ramifications this offseason, what that could mean for the commanders and the actual team that gets fielded that you guys care about. Top of the hour, Josh Kosman of the New York Post. Remember, he had the story that Bezos is being frozen out. We'll ask him about that. Coming up in a little over 15 minutes, we're Grant and Danny. Throughout the 61-page arbitration petition that the partners filed with the NFL is Snyder being portrayed as cash poor, that he needs a credit line, they allege, to keep up his lavish lifestyle. I mean, they, remember, guys, they don't know where that money went. And that, that $55 million credit line, 40 cents on the dollar, they're responsible for it. They didn't know about it for 16 months. And so they portray Snyder as somebody who the valuation of the team may be sky high, but there's a lot of debt. He had to go to Bank of America to, to get $450 million loan to buy out the partners for $875 million. So it, it's definitely a portrait of an owner who is uh, struggling with cash and liquidity and is scrambling um, to do what he can to make up for it. That's Don Van Nata of ESPN who just joined us on Grant and Danny. Welcome back. You're listening to The Fan. So I'll readily admit, I have no idea if the team's decision-making is tied directly to Dan Snyder and how much money and liquidity he has. But it's fair to ask, Grant. And that's kind of my point. I do think we are now in a territory where all questions are fair and where everything's on the table. There's a couple of things working against my working theory, which is that Dan's lack of money and liquidity, remember, you have to have money, cash, legitimately, set aside as a percentage of the guaranteed money you're giving out, as an example. So they went and they got Carson Wentz last year for $28 million. That's a pretty big expense if you got no cash and if I'm saying that you can't spend. But I wonder, I've just been kind of putting a list together in my head. I've talked about Ron Rivera being here. In the past, I think it's a real thing that after the Browns game and him not knowing they could get eliminating and how embarrassing that was and how that was the biggest story in the country and they played that terrible game and they got eliminated and for three straight seasons at that point, you're you're a losing record head coach here in Washington. 
I think old Dan might have fired him. Firing a coach and paying him out means you then have to hire a coach and pay them you're double dipping. $10 million a year. And on top of that, you're paying out an entire staff and then hiring new coordinators at a couple million per year and assistance at every single position. Did they even have the money to do that? I saw someone brought this up in a tweet they sent me at Grant H. Paulson. Remember when everyone wanted the name Red Wolves? And they said, uh-huh. eh, we're not going to do Red Wolves. There's a, a team named the Wolves, and it would take lawsuits, and it would take fighting. And we had plenty of people on, like that, that deal and branding and marketing and stuff during that process who said, well, if they really wanted to be Red Wolves, they, they could certainly engage and spend money and become Red Wolves. What if they just didn't have the money, and it would have taken a lot probably, or didn't want to, spend to it, become yeah. the Red Wolves? And they said, in a different world, you know, there, there is a multiverse where maybe we just have, we're, we're Scrooge McDuffing in the cash. We can't do that here, so we're just going to be a different thing. We're going to be a different name. I mean, you can start asking about, they've gone with Sam Howell in 2023 offseason already before they even explored their options. No Carr, no Rodgers, no this, no that, no Garoppolo. It's the opposite of what Rivera was screaming all last offseason. It's a sea change. Is it because they really have had some epiphany or because they were told you can't pay for these guys. I think that's all fair to ask now. It's all on the table. And if you look at Dan Snyder, who we we know is is petty and myopic and small and a tyrant, but if you look at a lot of his behavior, not only through the lens of that, but also through the lens of needing cash, some of the pieces start to fit. The, the Potomac place that's been softly up for sale is now really hardcore up for sale. Right, it's being listed, so anybody who wants to, who has a Zillow account can find it and go check that bad boy out. Right, you see some of these things play out in 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 uh, in public. The amount of money that uh, it, it's going to take, the debt being due, the the four hundred twenty five million dollars give or take that he's borrowed from the league, the money that's due Bank of America, uh, this fifty five million dollars sort of secret. Uh, loan on the side to, to help bolster, again, according to this report, to help bolster financial pictures. And, and, you know, so in other words, we made, we made $110 million. Well, actually made half of that, but you, you faked it with a loan that you're eventually going to you know, slowly siphon off and pay back in exchange. It seems like potentially for future business uh, with Snyder and bank of America. So if you look at it through that lens of, I know he's still incredibly rich and he's still acting in a very rich way. And he, he bought his uh, Alexandria estate for all cash, this, that, and the other. But in terms of operating the team, it absolutely stands to reason that they don't have that much money. Their attendance is dreadful. Local revenues are probably 60% of what they were just a handful of years ago. Yeah, so we had a guest on who surmised that they had $150 million in cash. I want to say that was Cosman a couple weeks ago, that they make $150 uh-huh. million a year. In, Which in, is an alarming number for the NFL. It's a terribly low number. And in fact, in this Van Nata piece, and I'm finding it right now. It was 241 in 2009. Nine. 241, and it was down to... 160 in 2020. That is crazy. Now, I do wonder, 2020 is a COVID year, but it was was COVID in the winter of 2020? So did it affect the entire year? Yes. So that's fiscal a, year 2020 would have been that. I would say that's a big part of the bottom yeah. line. So... But but even still, I agree. Cosman's story is 150 this year. Now I agree. You know what I mean? Like the, the trend line isn't going in, in a good direction. But to me, that's a bigger item. Than, yes. Than to say in the year 2020 they did this because ask a restaurant, ask a, a company. How mm-hmm. did 2020 work out for you? Pretty crappy, right? right? But to to that point, if Cosman is saying a couple years removed now, 
150 million is the norm, and we know what it was the 200 plus 241 million dollar figure, almost 100 million dollars more per year a decade ago. The other owners feel that they see it, they know it exists. It's all part of why they want this dude out. And according to Van Nata, and, and for that matter, the Post story, Maskey and Liz Clark and uh, Nikki Javala, they're ready to ramp back up the calls this March at the meetings to try to vote him out if need be. But they've always tried not to. Well, ask Josh Cosman about this from the New York Post. See, the owners don't want to vote him out. They don't want to lessen the threshold for what it takes to be removed as an owner. They want to force him out behind the scenes, push him out, maybe even financially if he doesn't have the money, kind of bleed him dry of cash so he has to sell the team? How might they be able to pull that off? Is that something they're even trying to do at the league level? We'll ask Cosman next. We got Mike Florio in one hour today on Grant and Danny on the fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 